0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I don't know why I love you like I do, but I do, Lord, I do. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie, right here on 1049 The Horn. It is a Smooth Soul Monday edition of Ball Don't Lie. And actually, the uh, music fits the mood outside, actually. A little overcast. It yeah, has rain earlier. Uh, my man Patrick always DJing. Great job DJing. A smooth soul Monday uh, intended to soothe the tortured soul of sports fans who may have had a tough weekend. Uh, Alright, we'll get to, speaking of tough weekends, we'll get to uh, reviewing the NBA playoffs. The Celtics with a Game 7 win and the 76ers, yeah, they're one of those teams having that tough weekend. So if you're a 76ers fan, man, Patrick's trying to soothe your tortured soul. We'll hear from Joel Embiid, speaking of the tortured soul. i will hear from him. Um, disappointing performance by Joel Embiid in the loss for the 76ers. We'll also discuss Monty Williams, because uh, he was fired. Uh, the Suns decided to make a move uh, to move on from Monty Williams because of their under underwhelming uh, performance in the playoffs this year. Hey, man, somebody's got to be a scapegoat. And it seems more and more, Patrick, in the NBA that you know the coach is more than likely most of the time is going to be the scapegoat. Yeah. When, and you know, because you can't get rid of superstars, superstars, superstars. Yeah, They are, I mean, in the NBA, that's how you win championships. And you don't, you don't sell merchandise, you don't sell jerseys, you don't put butts in seats, and you don't win games and win championships without superstars. So they're like the quarterbacks in the NFL. They're way more valuable than a head coach, even if he's a good head coach or yeah, sometimes even a great one.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they, it, it, it makes sense financially. It makes sense in some ways. But Monty Williams, I like this for me is an owner coming in and doing everything wrong to try and fix a problem. Like, like, you know, if you if you walk into a house and you're a new homeowner and you're like, oh, the toilet's running. And by the end of the day, there's no more toilet. But you know, you, you don't have anything. There's just <laughs> running water in a house because you thought you could fix it. That's kind of what I feel like he is starting to go down that path of like, well, the toilet seat's caught clearly the problem. And you're like, well, that's not why. It's running the toilet seat. Like, get rid of the toilet seat. It. Like, he's just doing things to do things. And he he came in and made the Kevin Durant trade. And you can do that, but he really leveraged the future to go and win it all this year and then didn't do anything else to try and make himself win it all this year. Didn't really play heavy in the buyout market. Didn't play heavy. Didn't try and fix the holes that you created by trading away a Cam Johnson and a Mikael Bridges, you made no effort to fix that. You just said, No, we just we were a piece away. Kevin Durant's were three really good players. And he went, No, he's not.
0: It was a savior. No, no, one, no one is three good like it, they had the savior complex with them. They assume yeah. KD will be the savior, he'll fix all these problems. Wait, but
1: that's always he'll again, turn water into wine. If you are one <laughs> player away and you trade two players to get one more player, you are not one player, like you didn't fix that one player, because now you've opened up another Un- problem. Unless you believe he's a savior. Like I said, that's a, it's a savior yeah. complex where you believe
0: he's going to walk on water and turn and turn water into wine. It, he's not going to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> maybe one guy who you could say might be able to do that would have been Jokic, that he is just shown to be that guy. That and LeBron in
0: his prime did. Was that. Yeah, scene but that LeBron in kind
1: his of prime still needed other players. Yeah, you do. No. Uh, Jokic, well, he got he's other players. He's got Devin Booker there. He's got some other yeah, players, but, but it's not like, enough. Jokic is the only guy that has shown that he's done it with guys that no one else thought were going to do anything and they've they've turned into much better players this season, which is why we're seeing the impact. But he makes this trade, and then Monty Williams is basically fired as blame for Matt Ishbia pushing through a trade for Kevin Durant. That's why, because they didn't have depth. They were tired. They were not able to make it through to the next round. But that's because the team wasn't a whole team. Plus, he has two guys get hurt in the series, and somehow that's all Monty Williams' fault. We're moving on. And now the rumor is that he is trying to – he is working to try and push pursue Tyron Lue, who is the Clippers head coach, which means not only are you going to have to give him a lot more, you're going to have to give him more money than he's making from Steve Ballmer, who's paying him very well, and you're going to have to give compensation to the Clippers to get him for a coach that Ty Lue's a good coach. Monty Williams is a good coach. I don't think you're – it does not put you any closer to a title to make this switch. I,
0: I think it's more symptomatic of the culture of the NBA, and I agree with everything you said about the Suns, no question. That uh, is definitely what's going, with, going on with money. Williams He's just being scapegoated for the boss's mistakes, by the way. Happens at your job, too. Yep. <laughs> um, and that's the boss can do that. Hey, got the big bucks, you know what I mean? You can do that. That's the golden rule. The man or woman with the gold, they make the rules. Uh, but it is symptomatic of a bigger issue going on in the NBA where – essentially coaches are just seen as at least from the perception of it they're simply like treated as caretakers and they're they're, they're perceived as just being caretakers along for the ride um and they're definitely being scapegoated if there are problems with the chemistry of the team or if the management or executives making bad decisions. You go look at it, Money Williams now being fired. He's a two time coach of the year. So he won coach of the year twice in four years and went to an NBA finals. Not enough to get you job security in the NBA. Um, uh, so now both coaches from the 2021 NBA Finals have been fired. As the first time two NBA head coaches were fired within two years of a Finals appearance, both of them. Yeah, uh, that has never happened. And now three of the last four NBA championship head coaches has also been fired. That goes back to Vogel, Nick Nurse, and Boonhoser And uh, you go throw uh, if you throw Ime Udoka in there and Monty Williams now. Every basically, you go look at it, every coach who's been to the finals since 2018, except for Steve Kerr and Eric Spolstra, have been fired.
1: And this is, and this, <laughs> this goes to two, show you two things. Right?
0: So it's, it's, it's the Suns, they're another example of, but it's but it's a bigger issue. And it seems like a mo- the, the easy answer seems to be let's just change coaches.
1: And, but it'll also show you what teams are consistently competing. What teams are consistently getting there and you can go, it's great coaches. It's also consistency in your organization mm-hmm. and having a better culture in your organization than an owner who goes, Hey man, if you miss a few shots, you're probably out. Hey man, I don't I'm I'm the crazy one who's gonna walk in the locker room and try and give you a pep talk, even though I've never been close to in your shoes. I'm the one who's going to try and associate and be and I'll fix everything. They go, You can't fix everything. So stop pretending that you can. Sometimes it's nice to have a good culture and going forward and Look, he may be able to help out, but when you look at how much they gave up to get Kevin Durant, how much it appears that they really don't have many options, you have Chris Paul on a contract that is going to be harder. You're going to, have to give up something else to get rid of Chris Paul's contract at this point. And then DeAndre Ayton, who's a good player, but it, that's probably your only piece you can move to try and make any moves. That's your, that's your one guy of value right now. That's day one. Yeah. You have no bench players that have any real trade value. You have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, who are your pieces. You can't move Kevin Durant again because if you move Kevin Durant again, then why'd you tr- give up everything to get him? So you have to now trade DeAndre Aiden and possibly put Chris Paul in there to try and get some terrible contracts back to get another player in and then hope that you can find some guys for less, for really cheap and find some veterans. But you're also a couple years away from this completely exploding. And that Devin Booker decides, you know what? I hate this place. I'm going to go try and win somewhere. Kevin Durant does what he does and decides he's not happy where he's at. And now he's on the first year of a four year contract, so he's kind of stuck unless he demands a trade. But also, if Devin Booker says he wants to get out, then that changes everything. This could really blow up that he bought a team and in one season to try and win it completely destroys any future it ever had. Because he's got to fix everything right now, instead of going to basketball people to make basketball decisions.
0: Yeah, and if he, yeah, it's it's just weird because uh, firing Monty Williams and then making a the move, if it is someone like Tyler, would be more of a, a lateral move, if that. And it's yeah, this, this NBA's this head coaching swap. Remember that show Wife Swap, where they're just it's just. Switching coaches, and it's for I think for the sake of trying to spark chemistry, not necessarily upgrading at the coaching spot. But yeah, the NBA's being an NBA coach right now is just really tough. You, there's no way to really guarantee yourself job security, uh, even winning doesn't necessarily guarantee job security. Accolades don't. Three of the last five coach of the year winners have also lost their jobs. Three of the past four head coaches to win a title have also lost their jobs. So it does, it seems like. If you got to make sure the stars are happy. That's your number one objective and priority as a head coach. And that could – hell, man, we, we know that's un, that's that's tenuous. That could change at any time. Well, but that's also that's, – <laughs> that's, like, that's, like, that's one of yeah. Doc
1: Rivers' best qualities is that he keeps the stars happy. And we see what that does, and that that also so, that
0: leads to complacency, which is yes. what the issue the 76ers are having right now. And, and so, we see yeah. what
1: what Tyronn Lue has done, keeping his stars happy in in L. A. It's which is they're yeah. happy, they don't play. That's what I think. I think it's just a, I don't even know if there's a way to fix it with the NBA culture because it is the star
0: driven league. They are the ones who make the moves. There, there, there is the one to, there is yeah. which
1: is you build a culture that when you get young star players, you try to teach them the right way to act as a player. And if you don't have those guys, you try and move around. You make sure to not get a lot of guys like a Dylan Brooks or somebody else who's going to try and come in and big dog a room. You go, hey, everybody's got to find their spots. We're going to put people in here, and we're going to build a culture of winning. And like Miami, you just build in guys that you go, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to get a star player like Jimmy Butler in Miami who is about winning above all else.
0: Jimmy Butler was not a culture guy, though. I know what you're saying, so my point is it's really
1: tough. But he is is a culture that fits Miami's culture. I know,
0: but but you also got a Pat Riley above him and Eric Spolstra. So you got checks and balances at every level. I think the point is it's just really tough. It is very tough. There's a Rodney Dangerfield element to NBA head coaches where you get no respect. Oh, yeah. Even Eric Spolstra. At first, he got no respect. Now we're saying Eric Spolstra's a damn good coach. Top three coach in the league. When he had LeBron there, no respect. Everybody treated him like a glorified cheerleader. Yeah, I right. he's like, oh no, nah, man, he's dating. A- I think he was dating a cheerleader or something like that. Anyway, uh, but either way, it's it's just really you, you just it's really tough perception wise to get job security as a head coach in the NBA. There are a few guys that can do it, Steve Kerr and Pop. But you're talking about guys who are winning, mo- basically multiple championships will guarantee you
1: job security in the NBA. I, not That's even a- multiple championships with that team. But as soon as you start losing. Yeah. You're out, and I, I don't think Golden State. I think if they blow up this team, Steve Kerr's probably got a two year window to win it, like to get that's back to a finals. That's crazy. Before they'll be like, no, Steve Kerr, sorry, you lost it, buddy. <laughs>
0: it's you. <laughs> it's you. Uh, well, that's what people are saying right now to Joel and B. They're saying, it's you. Uh, can we have this Joel and B sound? Because this is the audio that people are referencing uh, in their criticism Joel and B. Well, his criticism i think is coming from his performance he was 5 of 18 uh in game 7 0 of 7 from outside the paint 0 for from outside the paint for 15 points uh he and james harden very disappointing performance 9 points for james harden he was 3 of 11 here's Joel beat in the post game uh giving his thoughts uh we got the chance to win but you know it's going to you know more than us uh we all got to look at ourselves uh, I, I got to be better and I will be better. Uh, and that's what I'm focused on. Um, you know, all of us, uh, we got to, you know, come back and uh, find ways uh, to just keep improving and, you know, help the team. Uh, you can't win alone. Uh, I can't win alone. I can't, me and James, we just can't win alone. You know, that's why basketball is played five on five. So, you know, we just need everybody to just. You know, try to keep finding ways to get better, and, uh, you know, we'll
1: we'll be fine.
0: All right. Um, I'll tell you my issue with it, and I'm not as uh, critical as some have been um, in calling him out about those post-game comments. I think when you are a superstar, and he is, he's an MVP, when you're a superstar, it's pretty simple. And you should tell, if you're a coach, just tell all your superstars this. When we win, it's we. All right, and when we lose, it's me. So when you're on the post game on the podium, when we lose, take take it all. Just take the burden. Say it's on me. I got to be better. I got to be a better leader. I got to get my guys motivated. It, I'm the leader of the team. I got to play better. It's on me. And when you lose, just say, "Hey, man, we played great. Uh, we 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 we." And I wonder. I haven't watched enough post games. I'll admit of Joel and Beat. So I don't know. I want to know when they lose. Is he, at, is he a we guy or a me guy? Because if they lose and they lose and he's a we guy when they lose and a me guy when they win, that's a problem. That's a problem. As a superstar, you got to be all about we when you win, me when you lose. Be selfish when you lose. Yep. Say now nah, it's about me, man. I gotta be better. I mean, I'm the, I'm a star. I, I, I was blessed with a ton of talent. I gotta be better. Jason Tatum <laughs> in, in Game Seven in the fourth quarter. You gotta be better. I'm sure somebody told him. You say you demand. You say you you know you want to be a superstar. You're All NBA to put the team on your shoulders. Will this team to victory? If you're great, if you're indeed that uh, much of a superstar, you're of that ilk. You can do that. Ah, uh, that's what's asked of great superstars in the playoffs. So I think for Jalen B, that's the mistake he made. Patrick, he was in that post game. He was a a wee guy when they lost. Can't be a wee guy when you lose if you're a superstar. No, you don't get that luxury.
1: Not when you won MVP this year. Yeah, exactly. Not when you campaigned for MVP for the last three seasons, and not when you sucked in the playoffs. When you sucked in Game Seven, just never, never made a run. And I get that it was you when you, that blowout happened. It happened. And it was gonna be it oh. almost impossible to come back when they when they went on that run. Third quarter. That third quarter. You are not that fourth quarter, I get it. Yeah, that, it it's not like you're gonna put up numbers. But you can't come out and then during that run not get angry. Like you should have gotten two fouls there or got like at some point you have to, as a leader of this team, take control and get angry. There's there's videos and highlights from that game when you watch it, where Jason Tatum's hitting shots over him and he just got a handout. Jason Tatum sinks a three, and then he just goes, No, nah. well, I guess he's having a good game. I'll get him next time. Down, and you're like, <laughs> You can't have that attitude in a game seven. Like, in <laughs> a game seven, to be just, Oh, well, that's, that goes, Okay, well, I don't think you're ever going to win a championship if you are the best player. And that's the problem is you can't tell me you want to be MVP and not want to be the, not want to, like, you have to be the best player in every game. You have to be the best player every game. Mm-hmm. I agree. And he's
0: got to relish that moment too. He's got to want it. It's just obvious that Jason Tatum wanted it, even when he wasn't playing well. Even when he was playing like yeah. he felt like garbage in Game Six for most of the game. I want to say what did he missed his first. He missed his first. He missed 14 of his first 15 shots in Game Six in the fourth quarter. Decided, no, this is my moment. Yeah, it's still my moment. Even though I've not played, I'm not worthy of the moment right now. It's still my moment. Yeah, and I'm with that. Jalen B needs to be. He needs to put the team on his shoulders. And uh, we did not see them. You want to see that dog? We talk about that dog mentality.
1: Dog mentality in a loss. It was on me. No, and I mean we saw. So Steph Curry in the the game, the oh, game Lakers, seven, or not? But this game, the, oh, the okay. game on Friday, Steph Curry in the fourth quarter was the one who was trying to put up shots. He was the one who said, look, no one else is hitting anything. I'm putting this on me. I'm going to try and go superstar mode. It didn't work, but I'll give him credit that he went out and said, look, I get it. No one else is hitting shots. No one else is doing anything. I'm going to try and put everything on my shoulders. Whether it works or it doesn't, he put it on his shoulders and said, I'm I'm the guy. I'm going to try and take over. And we just never saw that with Embiid. Mm -hmm. We never saw him really impose that he is a seven-footer with a big frame and going inside and go, look, I'm going to make them foul me every single play, or I'm going to foul them, but there's going to be contact on every single play, and I'm dunking this ball every time, and I'm getting as close as I can to this bucket. And until the refs tell me, until they throw me out of this game, I'm going down fighting. Yeah, he did we, not go down fighting. We saw, <laughs> hey, man, they're, they're getting kind of bumpy in there. We're starting to get down. I'll shoot some threes. That'll get us back in the game. You went out with a whimper. Yeah, and you're supposed to go and then, out, and <laughs> then and the post game said we, and then your we turned into you and James. Yeah, I noticed that he did say me and James. Was like James had nine points, he was three. Tyrese Maxey had a better <laughs> series than James Harden, <laughs> yes, through he and did. through. Yeah, like that's the future. Like that's a guy you should be like, man, look at what Maxi did. He was somebody who was really trying to push for us this series. And man, if he gets better, and then we can, and then I can step up in that. But that's not what you did. He you threw Maxie under the bus like, man, if that guy wanted to play basketball with us, he needs to put up 75 so we can win a title. <laughs>
0: he considers him and James to be, you know, former MVP, MVP, yeah. you know. But I'm with you at this time. James is, I don't know if he's a true number two to Joel and Beat on that team. I don't know if he can do that night in and night out. He well, can do it occasionally.
1: But And then to put yourself of like, no, no, the way our team is built. It is me and James have our own locker room. We are the leaders. You can you can come hang out with us, but the rest of you guys are scrubs who need to be better.
0: And he was two they were two and o without Jolene being the playoffs. Like ironically.
1: that it's that attitude mm. of it's just a really bad attitude. It was. And it's one of those things of that's where if you see Doc Rivers not being there, you can go, Okay, I understand that as a organization saying, Well, something's been cultivated here that we never thought was gonna be cultivated in that we, have a, we now have a superstar.
0: Who doesn't want to be totally accountable.
1: Yeah. And we have cool. a superstar who thinks that he can say the rest of the guys yeah. and talk down to the rest of these players. Like,
0: that's not how, that's, we're never going to win with this. And Doc Rivers, let's get to it real quick. Uh, Doc Rivers, last um, five Game 7s, he's taken L's. That he's coached in. Uh, he also now six and ten record in game sevens. So those ten losses in game sevens are the most by any coach in NBA history. Seventeen and thirty three all time in series clinching situations to close out a series. Those thirty three losses are the most in NBA history for any coach in a uh, series clinching situation or coaching in uh, closeout situations. Also, most blown series leads <laughs> in NBA history. So it would seem. Um, and I, I bring this up all the time, once is an outlier, twice is a coincidence, three times is a bit of a pattern, four times is a trend, five times, that's character, that's who you are. That's who you are. Yeah. And this is who Doc Rivers is. So are they going to make a move from Doc Rivers? We see, we did Monty, Williams didn't deserve to be fired, but hey, man. I, but I mean, now, now you're deserving. saying,
1: now Mike Bodenheiser's on the market, <laughs> uh, Monty Williams is on the market. Okay. So Can you have guys. But I, that that's a question is who wants to go now, too, where you're like, well, I need to go meet with Embiid, with Embiid beforehand. Talk
0: to him and see what kind of mindset this superstar has because if he's got the wrong mindset, I'll be fired in two years anyway. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> want to walk in
1: where I got to babysit this guy and then go to the rest of the team where they're – and by the way, every one of our good players, when they get good, is gone. Like the difference is you have in L.A., Austin Reeves is like, LeBron's been there for me. He's helped me out. I want to play with LeBron. But if Tyrese Maxey's contract comes up and all these other guys' contract come up and they go, dude, he don't want to hang out. He thinks we suck. That's a great point. Why am I here? They're offering me money somewhere else. I'll go somewhere else, and I'll go play. But I'll say this before, I, I think it's there's a big question that's coming up in player options. Draymond Green has like a $28 million player option in Golden State. Yeah, it's a big one. Does, and he wants more. He wants more money. But, yeah. So does he... Say no and make them negotiate a longer term deal for him. Does he go somewhere else and get a longer term deal? Because again, he may not make twenty eight next season, but he also understands if I can make six, or make a hundred over the next four seasons or whatever else, that's less money in one season, but I have got it
0: over yeah. four and it's yeah. the
1: NBA, so it's, I'm gonna get that money.
0: You'll get it. it's guaranteed, baby. Yeah. You'll so, <laughs> so even
1: though I'm making twenty five next year instead of twenty eight, but it's, so I get four for twenty five, then I'm, yeah, I'll take that all day because that's guaranteed one hundred mm-hmm. million dollars. So I think there that one's a question. And James Harden, I think, is in that same boat. You know, I, I had a decent enough season this year. People thought I did some things. Do I want to take a player option and not have a long term deal and bet on myself again? Ooh. Or do I want that long term money I where think- I can really coast it in?
0: I think he should down bail himself. Oh, I think
1: he's past that age. I think he should go down to Houston. They should sign him to a five-year supermax <laughs> <Yeah>. contract. You want to retire a Rocket? No, I would no. But I want him to give all the money to him and ruin their oh, team. Yeah, want him yeah, to ruin yeah. their <laughs> team. <laughs> yes. I said he retired. I said he will retire a Rocket then gladly. Yeah, a couple seasons after he gets a five-year <laughs> deal. I, I'm with you. I don't think he should bail himself at this point. He's too inconsistent to so bail him it, himself. But he's making like he's got a thirty-something million-dollar player so option. So it's a lot of money to not take. But at the same point, it's guaranteed money. So the difference is. Thirty-five next year. Do you jump down to fifteen or twenty after that, or after retire? Versus, Mm -hmm. do I get a four or five year deal that's guaranteed money? And now that's one hundred twenty or you know one hundred million in the bank. It's just a lot more money overall that you're guaranteed. And those long term deals. And I don't think Philadelphia or Golden State is going to blink on. We're going to give you a contract extension before the player option.
0: I know. I usually take the for show over some mo. That's usually how I used to operate. But, hey, you're talking
1: about guaranteed money. Are you talking about former MVP? Former like, defensive player I of the saying.
0: year? You, I, can't, I can't talk about that. It's a different situation than mine. But uh, real quick, before we go to break here, and we'll get to the Jean Morant story in the uh, 545 segment. We'll talk about Jean Morant right after Raj. We right have the day. Joel Embiid averaging 33 points per game in the regular season became the MVP. That number dropped to 23.7 points per game in the playoffs. That is a 9.4 uh, points per game difference fewer points per game difference. That's the largest difference uh, by that year's MVP in NBA history. That is a hell of a drop-off for Joel B. To your point, Patrick, he ain't been really showing up the entire playoffs at all. All right, we come back. We asked a question last week about the NFL and the NFL's mission to try to expand the brand of the NFL internationally. One of the great sports mysteries. Why can't the the number one television show in America, America's top TV product, which is the NFL, 85 of the top 100 watch shows are NFL programs. Why can't the NFL transition that product to become an international product? Why don't international sports fans like the NFL? Well, we couldn't figure that out. But I did find out. Part of the NFL's secret plan, candy cigarettes. I'll explain when we come back. Right here on Ball Don't Lie, I wonder if we're not in the horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore.
1: Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it
0: real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's oh, you've
1: done it do? now. It's time for Rod's oh. rant of the day. Hold on to your butt.
0: All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. We were talking last week about the NFL's schedule release and how the NFL is trying to have more of a presence internationally. Um, And I think the international games are in London and in Germany. And one of the big sports mysteries is, is why the most popular sport in America you know, the most popular television product in America has yet to catch on and become or replicate that popularity internationally. And there are a lot of reasons uh, why that hasn't happened. But I, I was interested in the NFL's uh, mission to spread the game internationally. So I, I talked to some folks and did some research on my own. And, you know, it's it, it's it makes perfect sense too. and I can't you know believe that I didn't see it because it was right there in front of me the whole time. Because the NFL wants to turn their league into, you know, a $20 billion league and, hell, you know, domestic dollars can only get you so far international dollars, international money. Oh man, they'll hit 20 million, 20 billion, excuse me, in a couple of years if they can spread this product internationally and grow the brand. The problem is, you know, lately the NFL, uh, not lately, but the NFL's perception that it's a dangerous game, right? The concussion crisis, we've talked about that ad nauseum, um, and the NFL trying to convince moms, right, moms to let their sons play football. That's just been, and and fewer moms are agreeing to let their sons play football. Uh, The Concussion Legacy Foundation um, what nurse study says 26 since 2016 tackle participation rates for children ages six through 12 has decreased by damn near 30%. And even high school tackle football participation has decreased by 12.2%. Not in Texas. <laughs> we know that uh, since 2008. So kids are playing less tackle football and mo and, and the NFL's belief is that it's just moms, moms. They're seeing the game at the highest levels, college and pro. And there's some of them deciding now, nah, I'm not kidding, I ain't playing football, he's too small, I don't like it, play something else, play baseball, play something else, play soccer, whatever it may be. So the NFL's got a kind of a two-pronged attack here because they do have to battle the perception of a dangerous game, and they also if they don't successfully battle that perception and don't change that narrative, they'll never grow the game internationally. Because you know, the moms that here domestically won't let their kids play, and moms internationally, they're not going to let their kids play either. All right, so I was talking to a friend of mine doing some research, and they didn't lead me to the conclusion, this is me, this is my theory. So I'm not going to say that the NFL is... The, no, this is my theory about what the NFL is doing. But I think I have some evidence to back it up. See, the NFL, and I said this to student when they had their Pro Bowl. Remember the Pro Bowl? They, how they changed the Pro Bowl? They transformed the Pro Bowl into being basically... It's just... Uh, Playground contests and skills contests between players. They're doing dodgeball, you know, punt, passing, kick competitions. They're just playing playground games. And a lot of the parents who watched the Pro Bowl were marking how their kids loved it. Because the same games they play field day at their elementary schools. Same game They get to see the best athletes in the world or their favorite football players playing these games. Really fun. And I used to refer to it as the NFL's candy cigarette. Remember candy cigarettes back in the day? Most of y'all too maybe too young to remember. Y'all old people, y'all remember candy cigarettes, and it was literally cigarettes industries <laughs> that was their attempt to try to engage young smokers. <laughs> I'm not it's another way to put it, or at least to try to uh, get young people. All right, to get them indoctrinated, if you will, into the culture of smoking, they had candy cigarettes, and I loved them. They were actually pretty damn good back in the day. I used to have, I used to get like a little pack of candy cigarettes. This was a thing.
1: Did you pack? (laughs) Did you pack your? Huh? Candy cigarettes? Oh yeah. You get me oh, hit I first. Him. Yeah, you got, man, the sugar's not gonna be right if you don't do yeah, that. Exactly, yet.
0: exactly. But well, what, what was that? That was that was programming, right? Because yep. you see people with cigarettes, seen grown ups, so you yep. knew how to pack a cigarette like a grown up, yep. You're know how to put it in your mouth when you talk like like uh, <laughs> your grandpa would, and it was so kids could act out the fantasy of smoking, and we'd play cops and robbers. I have a cigarette in my mouth and everything like that, and I didn't think anything was wrong with it, but. I smoked cigarettes a little bit when I grew up, and maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it didn't. But that was their way of being able to appeal to young kids and to get them to start the rituals right, of smoking. And everybody who's been a smoker knows their rituals to smoking. And this, the NFL's candy cigarette, meaning their way to approach the younger demographic. Right. And that's what they did with all of those different skills competitions and the like I said, the mostly the, there were skills contests and, you know, field games that you would play on the playground. NFL's taking the same approach because they, they believe it might fix the Pro Bowl or at least make the Pro Bowl watchable. They're taking the same approach to spreading the game internationally, I believe. And the candy cigarette is flag football. So think about this, because I've been doing some research on this flag football for the NFL. And Troy Vincent, these are comments from Troy Vinson, the the former uh, NFL All-Pro cornerback and currently executive VP of football operations. He said the future of football is flag. Not meaning professional football, but all indicators suggest and data supports that flag football is the future of football. And what he meant by that is it is it is destigmatized the game for them a little bit. Because girls are playing it. And they're letting their little girls play football, but obviously boys are playing it too. The growth of flag football in recent years has been impressive. Flag football is played by more than 20 million people in more than 100 countries. Ha! Huh? They said, according to the NFL, since 2015, the number of 6 to 12-year-olds playing flag football in the U.S. has increased by 38%. In 2022, you had over half a million boys and girls participating in NFL Flag, the youth flag football league sponsored by the NFL. increase from the previous year. But it's the ladies that are driving it. Girls are driving the growth. In the U.S., half a million girls aged 6 to 17 play some form of organized flag football. Currently, seven states, including New York and California, have sanctioned high school girls flag football. And you may think to yourself, that's not going to save football, Rod. They're not going to play in the NFL. All right, I I get that, genius. But they're going to grow up to be mothers. Who have a different relationship with the game than the mothers who are deciding to let their kids play now. Right? They're going to know the game more intimately. They played the game. They've got a different relationship with the game than all the moms who have grown up having to have distance from the game, basically being as close as they can be as a cheerleader. (laughs) That's their relationship with football, instead of having to play it a little bit. And I actually met some of these uh, girls who played the game, Um, right here in Westlake, they got girls playing flag football. They said 18 schools. So you're talking about college level schools. Now 18 schools, the N a I a, the national association for intercollegiate athletics are playing and recruiting women to play flag football. And they said next up is the NCAA, which the NFL is already pushing to sanction flag football. They want to go all the way up. All right. All the way up to the highest levels at the international level, and here's the other key. So how you get, how, how you know, long-term looking at, all right, you know what? We need to change women's relationship with the game. They just, they're, they, they don't know, they're not, they're not in love with the game like the men are. We got to get them closer to the game. They got to fall in love with the game. How you make them fall in love with the game? They got to play the game. they go, like, oh, women can't play the game. Yeah, they can. They can play flag football. At the international level, flag football is on pace to overtake tackle football. In Japan, half a million children per grade have a chance to play flag football every year. In Mexico, there are 100,000 new flag football players in 2021 alone. In China, 200,000 play flag football in schools. That's important. Because that is going to lead to them being able to play tackle football later on. Or at least desensitizing the, uh, the bureaucracy, if you will, To the dangers of football with flag football. And it says here that international competition has grown national team participation in the International Federation of American Football World Flag Football Championships grew by 61 percent in the men's competition, 73 percent in the women's competition. And I'm telling you, it's twofold. It's a two pronged strategy. The future moms of America. We'll have a different relationship with football than the current moms of America. They'll look at the game differently. Who knows if they'll decide to let their kids play or not? But it's worth the try. And the other strategy is with flag football. Internationally, it's easier for the international community to accept flag football. it's it's cheaper, by the way. Like, first of all, it's just cheaper. It's <laughs> yeah. way easier to play. It gives no somebody a flag, no pads. Go out there, take a flag, go. Use your athleticism. It's all good. You may fall in love with the game enough to go. Let's try this tackle thing. Let's do it. Immerse the community in it long enough, and they'll go. Hell, tackle football is our next. That's the next evolution. That's the next phase for us. But start it out with the candy cigarettes before you start smoking the menthols. <laughs> so, I, honestly, I like the strategy. I think it's a smart strategy by the NFL. It's 2 prong, And it reminds me a lot. You know, we do this in society. Where there are social accelerants. Certain aspects of society, you know, can, can bridge the gap. Certain social, sociological, you know, movements, societal shifts and you have these issues that were once considered taboo in America, in American society, that are now socially acceptable or more acceptable. And there are things that can desensitize our sentimentality, all right, to, and allow us to adjust our moral compass and the, adjust to the social mores as they begin to evolve and change. I'll give you an example Legalize marijuana, right, forever. This country, we had this negative stigma about marijuana. In 1970, only 12 percent of Americans approved of legalized recreational marijuana. Just 12 percent. By 2021, we were at 91 percent of Americans approving it. And you know what bridged the gap? You know what bridged the gap? Medicinal marijuana. We saw Americans suffering. People in pain. People who needed help. And medicinal marijuana provided that help, and it, it desensitized a lot, of our, a lot of us and destigmatized marijuana in this country. Because it's like, no, no, people would, people would help me. If it's used responsibly, hey, man, we can enjoy it responsibly. And honestly, I'll, I'll say something else I think it happened. It happened with legalized sports betting. happening right now. You know what bridged the gap between the stigma and reputation of legalized sports betting? Oh, it's mob stuff. Oh, man. Yeah, you can destroy your family. Legalized sports betting. You know what t- changed it? The NCAA tournament, your grandma's filled out a bracket, fantasy sports, your mama and your daddy drafting—it's just gambling. <laughs> it, it 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 allowed us to slowly adjust our moral compass over time, instead of shocking our system, and that's always tough. That type of change is really tough for society. I think gay marriage went through the same type of evolution in our society. Hell, you know, 1997, you got 27 percent of Americans. Uh, approve of gay marriage, 60 damn to 70% of Americans disapprove of gay marriage. And then of 2021, we're at 70, 70-plus 70 percent that approve of gay marriage. Why? One of the theories out there, one of the working theories, no BS, is Hollywood. Hollywood brought the LGBTQ plus community right into your home. And you you most of y'all didn't even have an LGBTQ plus friend in y'all's lives. But, you know what I mean? Whether you're talking about... Ellen or hell, what, what is Will and Grace, Modern Family. Think about how many of those shows had a member of the LGBTQ plus community in that show. And you went, they're funny. They're cool. Man, that is really cool. I might want to have me a gay friend. That's kind of cool. It's actually kind of fun. You know, it's not bad. did de de-stigmatized the whole thing for Americans. Like, oh, they're just like you and me. It happens with a lot of stuff. And I'm not saying that it always tracks, but... I think for the NFL, if they want to expand the sport, first you got to destigmatize it and 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 really uplift the perception, change the narrative of it. And how you do that? Women, baby, moms, future of this country. Happy Mother's Day. The NFL trying to win you over. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk about John Morant. Speaking of moms, I bet John Morant's mom is very upset right now. Right here on Ball, don't lie. Wonderful, not knowing. Okay, yeah, we did forget. Just reminded, guys, we talk about candy cigarettes. Can't forget about Big League Chew.
1: That stuff was good, though.
0: It was good, but it still uh, was trying to um, promote a culture it of, was. Of, of dipping.
1: I thought, I thought it was to get us to try <laughs> gum instead of tobacco.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't think, I forgot all about the Big League Chew. There you go. Yep. Um, and I buried a lead, too, also uh, in my last take about Raj around the day. Uh, the NFL is also pushing to make flag football an Olympic event. That's like their last coup de grace. They figure they can do that. Then doing that and getting a team overseas, that'll be the first big step. I'm, in I'm, trying fine to with, spread I'm fine with everything until the
1: Olympic event. That, that's what they wanted. They, I know, but yeah. that, that's the one where when I have to when I have to interview a flag football player adult – that's taking it way too seriously. That's when I, I just can't, you know what I mean? Can't do it? You can't now, do that it? Seems, that seems a little bit weirder when the guy's like, you know, I just i to juke him out. we take a hard right there. And then, you know, there's a little context. We stopped play. He went over and got his medical care. Uh, we got back in the game, though, and I just ran a lot. Are you saying it's going to be that
0: the, the, the ratio of D-bags in the flag football community is going to rise exponentially if it becomes an Olympic sport?
1: I think, I think if, if it becomes an <laughs> Olympic sport, if you don't like flopping in basketball and soccer, Get ready for flag football flopping. <laughs> I feel like flag football flopping. Oh, you're right. We'll be like if someone yes. actually like, pushes you too hard, flying seven rows and be like, my sternum. Oh, my sternum! Uh, well, the world's most popular sport, flopping is an art form. It is. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's going to be the art form. Wow. Uh,
0: it says the NFL and I IFAF's focus now is to get flag football into the Olympic Games flag football is it says among nine sports that the uh, international olympic committee is considering for inclusion um at the next olympic games in
1: 2028
0: or for for the 2028 games sorry yeah there you go
1: yeah that is uh yeah i'm not I'm...
0: they said they're going to rule on it before the end of 2023 that seems uh, oh my KD says bubble tape was the
1: snuff. Big League chew was the job. <laughs> big League chew was the chew. Wow. Oh, See, there you go. KD seems like the guy who would have had that figured out. KD was deep. You know he had, oh Yeah, he had both. What right pocket, left pocket. Sometimes
0: KD still goes to get some big League chew every oh, now yeah. and then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry to my baby, KD. You're a missed brother. Yeah, candy candy sticks were good. I remember them. They're just a little, you know how to, you remember how, uh, Fun Dip? You know Fun Dip? Yeah. The little liquor sticks? Yeah. That's kind of what they were. They're just like little liquor sticks. They were fantastic.
1: Yeah. why they start making those? Well, They're I kinda know They're kind of gross. I, what? What's gross about it? Because you had to keep sticking the thing in there and licking it and sticking the thing in oh, there. The, oh, the oh, fun dip is gross. Yeah. Yes,
0: I agree with that. It's, it's not very sanitary. <laughs> yeah, it's not.
1: And then, like, you just see a kid and he sets it down. And you're like, well, once you set it down, it's over.
0: And it, yeah. <laughs> That is true. You got to eat a Fun Dip at the time because, really, the packaging doesn't allow you to set it down. Yeah,
1: because it sticks in there. sticks in there, man. And once the stick, like, there's, you can't close it off. That's a great
0: point. It does, yeah, why not, why not? Why don't they have a way you can reseal the the Fun Dip? Because, I guess, kids, once you go all in, you're going ham. Yeah,
1: why would they want to not sell another thing of Fun Dip right after? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Right, first one's free, Rod. I was right. trying to, he,
0: I was trying to, uh, like basically economize, my fun dip there. Apparently, <laughs> all right, uh, good stuff there. Right, we come back. I right, once, uh, once I want to get to Ja Morant, and we'll get to Ja Morant next segment. We'll do Ja Morant, and we'll talk some Cowboys. We'll just kind of uh, do a smorgasbord segment and get back on track here. All that more right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful, not. the horn.